What's up, everybody? It is July 13th, and Raphael and Garcia and Shawan Humes are back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. How are you doing out there, sir? sir? Oh, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good, good. You got a lot of background sound. Are you moving around a lot right now? Uh, yeah, I just got to, had to put a couple of kids down before I had to, I mean, help them get settled, not put them down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, look, I don't know what goes on over there. In the Hume's household, but that, if you got to, I said, I was like, "Oh my God, that's not good." If if you got to put people down, hey, this this recording will not be used against you in the court of law. How about that? Oh, okay. Well, as long as it's not going to be used in court of law, because and they're looking for an excuse <laughs> to catch a brother. They are. They are out, out here in these streets. So, um, thank you everybody for listening to another edition of the show. You can always like and share our content here on YouTube. Give us a follow on MMARatings.net on Instagram and Twitter. Check out the, the the actual website at MMARatings.net and also listen to us on where we are at SoundCloud, SoundCloud Stitcher, I iTunes, and YouTube. and YouTube. Yes. We will repeat all that at, at the end of the show. But again, thank you for listening to us once again. So as always, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot, a lot of things in the combat sports world. As always, we got this big, this kind of big thing going on right now with Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. We'll be talking about that. And hey a couple man, of, fighting. Man, I don't even like that's gonna. Be, uh, I was watching the show before the list, and they've spent forty-five minutes of their one hour allotted time talking just about that fight. So we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about um, UFC two thirteen and a tough finale, and we're also gonna talk about UFC Fight Night one thirteen as well. So. Again, thank you for joining us. My name is Raphael, and this is and Shawan is also on the mic as my um, excellent co-host. And we're going to jump right into it. Mayweather and, and McGregor. Um, so, Shawan, did you watch the two pressers from Toronto and LA? Uh, yeah, I, I actually did watch them. I didn't think I was going to, but I, I decided to take the plunge, and I have to say, it was pretty entertaining. First thoughts? Uh, well, I to be honest, I really thought uh. Mayweather, I, I thought his trash talk was a little, a little off. There was, there were a lot of key points he could have hit on, that would have been factual, that he could have really used against McGregor, and he went with the old, the money comment, which is good. It's a good, it's a good routine. It's a good shtick, but he actually had some legitimate points he could have made that could have really put Conor McGregor in a, in, in a bad spot. Like people would have been like, wow, like Mayweather really did his research. So I was a little disappointed by that. I was shocked at how much coverage it got. Like. There was almost a million people watching on YouTube, and like Twitter was locking up. I, it it just amazed me how many people were paying attention to this. I I could not believe it. Yeah, it was definitely something worth watching. It was a hell of a moment there, and um, I have friends that I know know absolutely nothing about mixed martial arts. Asking me about this fight, you know, as I've said, some kind of glance back and forth at the commentary um i wrote a piece on complex actually my first piece for them uh covering mayweather thank you sir um i saw andre ward had comments paulie marginelli had comments brendan shop is on showtime working with those guys so this this has been pretty huge um first thoughts about the presser i will agree with you mayweather could have been this is weird because we're not talking about the fight yet. We're talking about press conferences. And even when we looked at Mayweather's past press conferences, we never looked at it this way. 
it was always just, you know, a spectacle, Mayweather doing a Mayweather thing. Uh, his opponent would just be sitting there, just not even really jawing back and forth. This is totally different. And I think it's a good different. A good different in a way where it's going to make people interested in the fight. I don't think it's going to be make people long-term interested in Conor McGregor in a way that they'll purchase future UFC events. But I think it does the job of making this fight more interesting and more compelling, at least for a short time. It's been all over the place this week. It's, uh, I'm seeing memes about it left and right all over social media. Uh, and I think that that kind of is an interesting gauge on how many people are paying attention. It's funny because Dave Meltzer, when he does his pieces looking at the success of a pay-per-view event, he usually gauges it based on the number of number of times it's been searched on Google, which is how he kind of gauges how many people purchased the event. So if we look at Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor, just that um, line by itself, there are over 5 million results, 5.2 million results. So let, let's see how that translates in the long term. But for right now, I, I think it's, it's been a pretty uh, compelling storyline back and forth. Well, the, the thing about it is they're also making money off this. Like, they're charging people to be in, and there's got to be some kind of deal where Mayweather's making some money on the back end of these appearances with the TV deals and, uh, the, and, the, and the rights that are going to be on Showtime or, or something. I know I know there's no way he's doing these appearances and not ma making money on the other side of this. So I know he's everybody's making money all around. The biggest thing this is doing is it's, it's kind of really showcasing the full range Conor McGregor has, like it's introducing him to another, another, or I guess another kind of audience. And it's giving him like, he's, he, he's not facing like a, a revered MMA fighter. Cause in MMA, Conor to a certain degree is very popular, but he's also kind of the heel. In this instance, he's like the complete hero. Like everybody's on his side, you know, except for the Mayweather types or the boxing purists, everybody's on his side. They want to see him teach Mayweather a lesson. They want to see him humble Mayweather. So Conor's getting to like, is this hero? Is this guy who's going against the unstoppable juggernaut? He gets to really play up this character and kind of build a whole new fan base of people who were just not aware of who and how he was as a person. As long as he doesn't go too far out of pocket, I don't see how this doesn't benefit him, not just as far as fighting, but years later in other business ventures. I mean, now he's he's got a promotional license too. I mean, and he's getting promote he's promoting the biggest fight of all time. Like this is just a, such a huge jump start for everybody involved in it. This isn't just like a, a minor, he's getting paid $100 million or whatever. This is $100 million, his promotional company's off. He's, he's becoming a crossover media star. Even if he loses the fight, all the opportunities that come as a result of a fighting a Floyd Mayweather are just going to keep pouring in because he's taking full advantage of it. He's not just, I'm going to beat him, I'm going to teach him a lesson, I'm going to let my fist do the talking. He's embracing the moment. He's playing up to the fans. He's, putting, he's playing a caricature of himself, and he's really squeezing every ounce of publicity and media attention he can out of this, which is very smart, which is a lesson almost every fighter sh should learn from. And you want to know something funny. Uh, Luke Thomas said it after the first presser, and he's 100% right. This is... I'll turn your volume down a little, again, a little bit. But yeah, go ahead. this is Conor McGregor's Red Penny Night. If you think about it, the way he went after Chad Mendez, the way he went after everybody on the USC roster taking saying that he's there, Red Penny Night, that that's their big payday. 
Floyd Mayweather is the same thing for Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor right now. And he, after this is all over, he and D. Devlin will be saying thank you to Floyd because this is going to be the biggest payday, I believe, of his career. Let me ask you a question. Ron Hesser. Yeah. Well, like, you know, you know, like um, how Connor is famous for saying, like, you know, it's red panty night for whoever is fighting me, you know? Yeah. That's his little catchphrase. Floyd's a smart guy. Floyd's got people on his payroll. How does Floyd not turn that against him when they're talking trash to each other? How does he not use that exact same line? It's red panty night. I'm going to change your bum life around. Like, how do you not use that? I mean, you know, it, it's like it's like he there's just so much there's so much artillery for him to use. You know, he can say I, I, I'm the I, Conor McGregor of boxing. You know, it's red panty night when you signed the contract to fight me. I'm changing your bum life around. You used to making three million, now you're up to hundreds. You turned Nate Diaz into uh, a millionaire. I turned you into an eight figure fighter. You know, it's like there's just all this ammunition he has, and I'm like, how are you not using any of this? I, well, I know I it think, doesn't change the effect of the fight. Yeah, kind of it builds it builds the. Uh, it builds the interest. It kind of, you know, because fans love that kind of petty back and forth between athletes. We love it in NBA. We love it in NFL. We definitely love it in fights. And I don't understand how he's not hitting on these points. Or even the whole the real fight, Floyd could have been like, yeah, if you grapple me, because we know that once you take a couple, take a one-two to the face, all of a sudden you turn into a wrestler. Just ask Nate Diaz. That's what you did to him when he started beating you up on the feet. Like, how is he not using this stuff? Like, who's writing his stuff? That's what I want to know. Why, why, why have they not hired me for that job? Well, I think it's because his camp didn't recognize the opportunity there. I think that's really it. You know, he's kind of being fed a lot of lines when it comes to uh, when it was when when he was being fed a lot of lines when it comes to some of his quips back in the day. But this is I, I think that they'll pick it up as the promotion goes on as we get closer to the uh, showcase because I, I, I do these two guys again another piece of um, commentary I thought that was very interesting this is a different Floyd Mayweather than that that fought Manny Pacquiao or fought um, Andre Berto that Floyd Mayweather was more relaxed he didn't take verbal shots at, at people and it, that's just how it was this he's kind of turned into the Oscar, you know, when they had the first. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. He's turned. He's turned to Oscar De La Hoya now. Well, not Floyd hasn't turned into Oscar De La Hoya. He's gone back to being that Mayweather, meaning that he's taking shots at Connor. He's getting up there with the flag, dancing around with it, saying whatever he wants to say. I think he's gone. He's slowly reverting back to a more pronounced Money Mayweather than the reserved version of him that we saw in recent years. So do you think that's a matter of him recognizing the event, or is he just trying to keep up with Connor? I think it's a little bit of both. Because he is putting himself in a position that this is going to be a huge event. Like, they're charging $99 to watch this fight. And I think that that is... um, I think that's because they believe it's going to be bigger than him, than the Pacquiao fight and the Canelo fight. I'm starting to agree with them. I think it's going to be bigger than both of those fights. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. It the the Canelo fight, the the Pacquiao fight. If if the Pacquiao fight would have happened when they was in its prime, it wouldn't have been bigger. But 
get the time frame it happened in, yeah, I could see this easily going over. A lot of people said it might hit two million. It might be three or four. It, it, it really could do that depending on, on how much more of a fervor they can build with the trash talk and, and it's just getting so much coverage and, and people aren't even uh people aren't even tired of it. They they literally anything with Mayweather McGregor hashtag May Mac is getting clicked on incessantly. You could write ten pieces a day on it and all ten will do like nothing else exists in this world. Like it's beating everything else in the headlines. It is the it is the top item. If you go to ESPN.com right now, the live stream of the presser is the top item on the um show. They have one, two, three the first three news bullets on the home page of ESPN are Mayweather Mayweather McGregor. With the live stream being the very top one. The live stream that is an hour and a half behind schedule because these two fools haven't showed up yet. But that's another conversation for another day. But that shows you just how big I rem um not even in 2009, when I was still working at ESPN, the organization was having a conversation about whether or not it would cover mixed martial arts as a real sport. Here it is less than 10 years later. We have this situation here. Now, this is a boxing fight, but it's a boxing fight with the biggest MMA star in it to date. Yep. You know, I, there's another aspect I'm thinking of this. I really think that Mayweather is going to try to use this to springboard himself into promoting MMA fighters. I, I know people who know him. <laughs> And they've interacted with him, and he's mentioned trying to manage MMA fighters. He, it's something he's mentioned multiple times, and um, I, I really think it's something he's going to get into because um, there. I mean, the, the, he, even though he's not an MMA fighter or he doesn't have MMA background, he his name has pull. You know, there are certain spots, certain opportunities that he's going to create just by being connected to him. You know, you see what he's done for certain fighters the exposure of, of most MMA fighters in the UFC and they're making bigger paychecks and they've got bigger sponsorships than these guys who are on TV regularly on every major UFC card there is. So there's something, there's a little bit of cachet that comes with them. And also, I, somebody else mentioned this out to me. Actually, I was, talk, I, was, I was talking to one of my friends and they mentioned this to me. They said, with this last pay-per-view, this could really be a turning point as far as boxing and the pay-per-view model goes. Like from now on, they might only have super fights as pay-per-views like from now on it might just be a bunch of like how espn did pacquiao versus horn they're not going to have multiple pay-per-views a year because people are going to be so burnt out on it after spending so much money and having this kind of event i think it's not going to be a return on the investment unless you've got a mayweather or a canelo or somebody of that sort and, and i think that a lot of people haven't discussed how this could negatively affect the pay-per-view model because nobody else is going to hit this number if they break, they're not gonna. Nobody's gonna match this. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be something. Unless the fight's super competitive, you're not gonna be able to do a rematch. It's anywhere near as profitable as this one. There. I mean, a lot of people will do pay-per-views right now, and they can barely make break even MMA and boxing. So it really everything combat sports might move further away from that until you have the super fights or the really super car, super decks cards, triple deck cards. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I get where you're headed there. Um... So let's continue talking about this. Some of the probably the main talking points out of the first two presses, and you know, we, I'm not watching the third one live. Um, personally, I the look on Mayweather's face is such a standard Mayweather face when it's fight time. Um, he just looks, you know, unamused. Not unamused in a, like a I'm going to be angry when I fight McGregor type of fashion, but unamused as in. I'm so rich that, that your comments don't even affect me. 
you know, you're just people talking about, well, Mayweather won the press conference and said, I'm like, that really doesn't matter because Floyd is making $200 million, 250 probably when this is over, million dollars compared to Connor's 100, in which he has to give, I think it's 30 to 50 to the UFC. So he's not even getting all his money. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that, on those type of commentary points? Is that a meaningless conversation or does that notion of is McGregor getting into Mayweather's head worth the conversation? I, I, it's an interesting, it's an interesting talking point because you've never seen somebody go back out Mayweather, just like, uh, when Connor had, was fighting Eddie Alvarez, you never saw somebody kind of go at Connor with, with the trash talk, like really go at him, like take personal shots. So you wonder, is that going to affect him because this person's never been in this spot? Mayweather's had people say things, but he's never had people say things who are bigger, who are bigger or comparable stars to him. Like you know, Robert Guerrero says something, he's not getting any reaction from the from the crowd because it's all pro Mayweather people. But with Conor McGregor, there's whole stadiums of people who are who who are cheering him on and empowering him and, and making him seem like he's on the same level as Mayweather as far as being a star. Now, I don't, I don't think he can get inside his head. Mayweather's been doing this for 21 years. He's done it at every level, Olympics, World Championship level, HBO, Showtime. He's broken pay-per-view records before, so I don't think it's getting in his head. But I could see why people would have that discussion, just because you've never seen someone come at Floyd like this. You've never really seen Floyd get animated. You haven't seen him this animated in years. Like, this, you, like you said before, he's been the, the cool, like, oh, everybody's got a plan so they get in there, 49 to try, 49 to fail. He's really, he's, he doesn't seem as amped up. And I don't know if he's doing that to build up interest or he's doing that because he feels like because Floyd Mayweather doesn't want to lose at anything so he feels like he's losing in the public eye or he's getting clowned he's gonna react to try to get that to get that back to get that kind of to get that credit back so it, it's a legitimate talking point you know it's an interesting point it helps fuel sales but I, I don't think he's really getting in his head the money part that's always an interesting part because it, even though everybody gets tired of Mayweather talking money what do all MMA fans talk about when it comes to fighters? Money. Why aren't the fighters getting paid more? Why aren't they getting more opportunities? The UFC sold for four billion. How come they're only getting paid twenty thousand? So the money, the money thing is the bigger factor to me because even though MMA fans and fans in general are saying Mayweather talks about money too much, it's about the fight. The fact of the matter is, it is about the money. If this fight couldn't generate money, it wouldn't be made. Conor McGregor wouldn't be asking for this fight or pushing for it if it couldn't make money. Mayweather wouldn't be pushing for it if it couldn't make money. MMA fans would have nothing to complain about if all their MMA fighters were getting paid the salary they thought they should get paid. The money is the most important factor because it affects, it affects boxers going forward. It affects MMA fighters going forward. You know, let's say Conor decides to fight on. Can the UFC even afford to, to pay him to fight anymore? Like, you know, this, this affect, the money affects everything on multiple levels. That's the most important talking point out of all this, even though it's not interesting because it's not the fight. The money is really what drives and created all this opportunity. If there's no money behind it, none of this happens. Yeah, and I think that um, this is a situation. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens after this fight. Every, a lot of people are going both ways, kind of predicting if he will, uh, if McGregor will return to the sport. I think that's kind of like an open conversation. I, I believe he will um, just because that's, I believe he will because he won't be so quick to just cut and run. But uh, he is going to become a hot commodity. We don't, we may only see this man fight once a year, or he may only fight on round on particular days and particular times of the year. Something some along the lines of what 
Mayweather uh, does. And I think that this is going to be very interesting. I think this is where we're hitting a turning point in the sport because he's really becoming a huge star. And I think it's compelling to see someone who has really shaken up the way he is managing his career, the way he is pushing back against the UFC and, and doing whatever it is that he wants to do. I think that this is important and it's going to change a lot of things for fighters across the board. Yep. I, I'm hoping, like we've had this discussion before, I'm hoping more fighters take note and I hope they do it in a positive way. Like Mayweather kind of turns boxing when he got out of his slave contract with HBO. He paid his way out. He bet on himself. He got the fight. He won it and he built his he built his empire off of that. And while every fighter can't be Mayweather because they don't have the talent or the work ethic, what every fighter can do is maximize their earnings by mastering their craft and looking to get as much money as they can, not just off your your salary, like, oh, they're paying me five million dollars. But there's other things you can do to develop money. Mayweather gets money from seats, from pay per view appearances there's a lot of different things you can do and conor mcgregor's essentially followed that blueprint he, he's just diversified his options instead of just being set happy with getting a paycheck from the U, the ufc he wants to be a co-promoter he wants to start his own promotion he wants to expand into other in outlets he wants to do those things and a lot of fighters only think well I'm, I'm only getting paid this much but if you do these other ventures it doesn't it just increases your brand's ability to make money but it also increases your presence and having a broad presence and appealing to a, a wider group of people and being involved in multiple things. That's what turns you from a popular fighter into a star, into a superstar. That's where all the money comes from, the, the diversification, having a range. It's like being successful in the fight game. You have to know, have a bunch of different tools. You want to be successful in the money game. You have to have a bunch of different tools and you have to look for a bunch of different opportunities and you have to be willing to push yourself, market yourself and, exp and take different chances. A lot of these fighters just want to get paid for fighting, and that's never, it's never been enough. It will never be enough for the people who make the really, really, really big paychecks. All the people who make the really big paychecks are doing a lot of work outside of just training and fighting. The people who make the real money. Uriah Faber doesn't make Conor McGregor money, but he's made better money because he's done real work outside of fighting. Conor McGregor's making money because he did real work outside of fighting. Same with Mayweather, same with De La Hoya. If all you want to do is fight and make your little appearances, you're going to get what you get. If you want to do those other things, that's where the real money comes from. That's where the millions comes from and the co-promotions come from and the opportunities like this come from. You have to take it. You, you have to take the take control of things and stop essentially just asking for money. You have to do something to put yourself in a position where you can demand it. So you said a, you, you, you said a, a lot there and I, and I definitely kind of agree with you on that. This is a big moment for Floyd, not Floyd, excuse me. This is a big moment for Connor and a big moment for MMA fighters across the board because they have to learn from this opportunity. They have to treat themselves. I think one thing that I really think is going to go away, multi-fight um, deals. Fighters are signing six and eight fight uh, contracts. I think that, that goes away. You're going to start seeing more three, maybe five at the most fight contracts because they're going to want to be able to, the same way it's going on in the, M M uh, excuse me, in the NBA right now, stars are signing one and two year deals because they're like, I want to be in a position to leverage my financial strength. And I think you're going to see that more often with fighters as well. Three fight contracts, maybe even one. Connor can legit sign a one fight contract with the UFC going forward. And I believe they will, they will pony that money up. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes the landscape. And 
that one area of the sport as well. So another big talking point <clears throat> that came out from the press conference, uh, and I, I want to kind of address this because I've seen commentary on it back and forth, is the use of McGregor's use of the word boy. He said the phrase dance, dance for me, boy, or dance, whatever he was. He said something along those lines in reference to what he's going to make Mayweather do during the fight. And while I look at the situation, you know, I understand why some people are saying, oh, that's a racist comment. I, I understand why people are falling on the other side of the conversation. Like, well, it's not as bad as some people are making it say. Um, in my opinion, you know, Mayweather, excuse me, not Mayweather. I'm going to say a couple things about this. First and foremost, this is par for the course for McGregor. He always tips up to the line where he says some things that are borderline offensive. He did it against Jose Aldo. He did it against Rafael Dos Anjos. And it's kind of laughed at and kind of ignored because the majority of mixed martial arts base are white males. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So the comments don't, they don't raise as much of a flag as they did this time around. there Now you hear people about Andre Ward commenting on Floyd's statements, Floyd Mayweather being asked about the uh, statement. So McGregor needs to be careful here because A, he can alienate a lot of potential fans for him down the line, win, lose, or draw. And B, this isn't the same audience. This isn't the same audience that's okay with him saying such things. Do I feel like what he said was offensive? You know, I always feel, being a black man, I always feel some type of way about being called boy, especially by white white people and especially by women. Like, it, it, it scars me. But he needs to be careful when um, when he's tiptoeing up to that line because the response is not going to be the same. And you've already seen it just this week. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's, uh, it's one of the things Floyd always says, there's levels to this. And people always think it's about the boxing and the skill or the money. <laughs> But he's talking about being able to tiptoe that line and, and, and really cover or explain what you're saying when you're on a bigger when you're on a bigger platform. Like some of the stuff that slides on a MMA platform isn't going to slide on the boxing platform. Some of the stuff that slides on a small boxing platform won't 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 fly at a high one. It's the same thing as playing sports, a high level of football, high level of basketball. The bigger the event, the bigger the team, the bigger the money, the more attention and the more critiques there's going to be. And if if people even feel Conor McGregor's cross that line into a racial element, he's got a lot of fans. But let's let's face it, MMA isn't exactly the most popular sport with minorities. It's just not, not not Hispanic people, not Black people. They're still trying to market, mine those markets. So if MMA fans are sticking up for Conor McGregor, let's just be straight. A large majority of them are, you know. Older white or middle or middle middle class white white people. The large majority, of them. large majority of people in MMA are white people. So you're gonna have a bunch of other middle class or upper class white people saying that another upper class white person isn't racist. How's that gonna go over? Yeah, I mean, who was was Bob Arm that said um, what is it? He called this skinhead skinhead homosexual wrestling or something like that, something along those lines. And they want to be careful with McGregor and what he what he says going forward because it can have a long-term impact not only just to this fight but McGregor's cachet and MMA as a whole so I definitely agree with you on that I, again imagine if he says something let, let, let's just say he says something that's 
that could be taken as racist, right? Let's just say that. And the yeah. UFC doesn't reprimand him, and there's a big storm, and there's a big com- controversy over that. You know who 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 will win out of this deal, don't you? Oh, go ahead. He'd be like, "Look, yeah, this is what I'm dealing with." Mm-hmm. He's saying these racist things. He's their biggest star. He's saying these things. And what's worse, not only is he saying these things, you got the fans defending it. You got the UFC defending it. They ain't reprimanded him. They haven't said we're we're not associated with this type of behavior. They're just clapping and co-signing. I mean, it, it's just it's a very delicate balance. And Connor likes to push it, and I like to think he's smart enough to know what line to back off of. But if in fact he is not, he could really create like a conflict for himself moving forward, not just in this fight, but moving forward that could hurt his business opportunities, hurt his his wife or his family's business opportunities. Because you know, once you get the racist label or some kind of label like that, impact, especially when your appeal is is the fans, when your success is dependent on people supporting you. Yeah, there's going to be some um, interesting, I don't want to say fallout from that, but it's going to be some interesting commentary back and forth. So um, I want to move off of, of Mayweather McGregor because we got a lot to talk about. Um, and I'm sure next week we'll kind of look at the Brooklyn press conference, which is going on right now. But we have um, we have other news stories to go over for this week as well, such as Gegard Mousasi going to Bellator. And me personally, you know, I'm not... I'm not surprised that Gegard has. I'm not surprised that Gegard has made the the jump from the UFC to Bellator. This is perhaps the biggest name that has made that jump. Is I mean, most of the other guys were coming off of a loss. They were coming off of a not so great situation with the UFC. Here's a man that has beat former champions, and you know whether you you, you my opinion and your opinion on on Masashi is, is vastly different, but. This is a guy who, in my opinion, could have been in that fight against... I would have been much more interested to see him and Robert Robert Whitaker fight for five rounds than him and Yoel. But is how, what do you think about this signing, and who is the winner out of this deal? Bellator or Musasi? I'd say they're both... I mean, they're, they're bo- I'd say they're both even. Because, I mean, in Bellator's time, it strengthens, it strengthens two divisions. Because he can, he can still make, he can middleweight, he can fight a light heavyweight. He's fought as heavy as, as heavyweight. And just based off his skill set, he can compete at any division and be instantly uh, in title contention. A light heavyweight or middleweight heavyweight would be kind of a stretch. But given their, their level of heavyweight, he could compete there. So it's, it's great for them because they've got a guy who can compete in three different divisions, a guy who's considered one of the top ten, top five middleweights, and he's on a winning streak. And he's a guy who's got an extensive history in mixed martial arts, like he's he's never really had those three and four fight losing streaks. He's always been near the top, whether he's in the UFC or not. So it legitimizes whatever division he's in, and it's going to help them expand their reach. They'll probably they can use him in risen tournaments. They can have fight belts, or they can have other people do cross promotions where guys will have have come over to fight him. I mean, it makes their light heavyweight division one of the best. It makes their middleweight division more legitimate. It's kind of shallow, but it kind of legitimizes it with his name. As far as Musasi, he's going to be in the title talks immediately. And no matter what they tell me at the UFC, they might have paid him more. I don't think he's going to be in the title talks. I don't think I think he was another two two fights away from a title shot minimum. I don't think they wanted him to be in a title. They don't think they think he's a draw. I don't think he was worth the investment. And they might pay him a little bit more, but he'd be no closer to a title shot. But he'd have to fight every tough guy to get in the position to have a title shot. So it's a win-win for both guys. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was in position for a title shot as well. I think that they wanted to keep him out of that out of that picture because they knew his contract situation was coming up, and they I did feel like they knew he was going to be a difficult one to negotiate with. Uh, I'm hearing reading a lot of stories about how they were close to a deal before the fighter summit, and that's when things just fell apart. So I'm not too surprised that this happened. I thought it was going to happen sooner. Um, then I saw some stories about Musashi being close to a deal, so I was like, hey, maybe they made things, they got things to work out, but. That doesn't seem to be the case, and now we have a potential for Musasi stepping into Bellator, and he's already put himself uh, a close to some pretty interesting guys. He's mentioned Chael Sonnen, Roy McDonald. He's mentioned fighting Ryan Bader. Um, Rafael Cavallo is oddly enough fighting fighting Alessio Sakara, and that fight is booked for December, which I think is horrible matchmaking, but that middleweight fight is potentially out there as well too. So we'll see what happens with them. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for for both. Oh, they, um, they made that they made that fight for sure. Yeah, they, it was announced yesterday. How do you just sign him and not immediately put him in the title fight? What I think, man, honestly, I would not be surprised. I was laughing at this thinking about this yesterday. I believe they were talking about this fight before Musashi got signed and the contract was out there. And once they saw Musashi was signed, both fighters quickly signed that um, contract. Think about it. That's what I would do. If, if I was their manager, I would tell them, okay, you need to sign this contract before it's snatched away and they give the fight to Musashi because neither man wants that. Yeah, I, I, get, I see that point of it and that's very valid. But if I'm the champion, like in Bellator, they have more sponsorships. Musashi is kind of a big name in MMA. Like he's not a superstar kind of guy, like a crossover. But he's the kind of guy who, who can get you more sponsorships because it's going to be an event that, you know, Musashi in his first title shot. That's going to be some of the highest ratings Bellator gets all year. People are going to pay attention to that. You can generate that into more money into your pocket. You know, I mean, uh, Rafael, he's good. But, he, I mean, Sakara's not great, but Alessio might beat him. There, I mean, I've seen, I've seen worse upsets. I, I've, never been, I've never been super impressed by the middleweight champion. He, he's been like... He, I, I think he lost the man the first time. I think he could have lost the second time before he finished him. So I don't know that, I mean, what if he loses? So he lost out on a money fight because he decided to fight Alessio Sicario first. I mean, I get it from Sicario's point of point, point of view. I don't get it from the champion. I'm trying to get the biggest guy who draws the most attention because that helps my sponsorships. The bigger the fight, the more the sponsors kick in for you. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to kind of wrap your head around there because for um, Car Carvalho, this is a better situation. Should have been a better situation. He should, he should have jumped at the opportunity, but he didn't. So, you know, I'm not pleased with that matchmaking, but hopefully we'll see Musashi in the title picture soon. He's openly talking about challenging for both belts, which I also think is uh, a compelling story as well, seeing him fight Ryan Bader and um, uh, Carvalho. But the only thing is, you know, this hasn't worked out so far for Josh Thompson. Didn't work out for Benson Henderson. So let's see him get in there. It didn't work out for Lorenz Larkin. Let's see him get in there and get a win and um, make some things happen. Hell, I would love to see Larkin and Musasi fight. But, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities there too as well. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the one thing, the difference is, I mean, like, the welterweight isn't super isn't super tight, but Lima, Lima I've always thought Lima and Korshkov were UFC head level level welterweights in the first place but the middleweight division benson henderson went to lightweight lightweight's their strongest division in bellator but middleweight 
I mean, the middleweight, that's wide open. I mean, he should be able to walk. If he if he's listening to, to, to one of the guys in middleweight, then the UFC got rid of him just in time. No offense to those guys, but there there's no way. I, I saw how Benson could lose. He fought a weight up for title. He fought Chandler. Chandler's a UFC-level guy, but losing to the middleweights? Nah, that, that can't happen. Stassi, if he's who he says he is, he shouldn't lose to those guys, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that there. Let's move on to the next topic. We got Michael Page. You know, as we sit here and talk about McGregor and Mayweather boxing, we got Michael Page doing the same thing. He signed a deal with David Hayes promotion to get in get in the ring and box as, you know, his fight with Paul Daly was announced for early 2018. So is this a good idea for Michael Page? What do you think he's, he's going to do? They offered him an opportunity in kickboxing, but he turned that down. So do you think he's going to find some success here? I'm guessing they're going to have him uh, fighting some very suspect competition. Because in boxing, you can find guys who who are like stiffs or, or taking money to take to to take dives. I mean, everybody knows that happens. You have a, you have a guy you're trying to build or trying, trying to get interest in. So you put him in with guys who he should be able to beat based off athletic talent. And even if he can't beat those guys, those guys know they're not there to win. So even if by some chance they're they're winning, they know that at the end of this, they have to do just enough to make it look good, but they need to lose this fight. So you can, you can manipulate it a little bit more with boxing. I'm assuming, I don't know enough about kickboxing to know if you can. I, I don't know what they get out of this though. Like, what does it do for them? It's not going to make him some kind of huge kind of star because he's not going to be fighting anybody of any note. So I, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious why they're doing it. Like, what, what's the purpose of doing it? Unless they're trying to transition this into some kind of opportunity where they can hold one of their shows in a, in another country or in a big stadium or coliseum. That's the only thing I can think of. Otherwise, I, I don't get it at all. Yeah, um, I think it's just a it's just a it's just a ploy. Um, and it's nothing that's 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 too uh it's too it's nothing that's I don't want to say newsworthy. I don't think that's the right word because I I see that that there's pieces there's pieces about it all over the place. Um, I'm just not I'm not too. This doesn't make me want to might watch Michael Page fighting. It it, it doesn't. Um, I, I think it's just it's just another way. It's another way for fighters to kind of continue building their brand and stepping outside of the stepping outside of the cage to do something different. Yeah, I just like I said. I mean, he's not going to be fighting anybody of any. I mean, not to my knowledge, he's not going to be fighting anybody of a high skill level. So it's going to be like what he does in Bellator, fighting a bunch of guys he's supposed to beat. And he's not a boxer. I I don't even know about his real. I mean, I mean, there, there's got to be some kind of angle they're playing where they're trying to get leverage so they can hold their events in a certain area or a certain country in a certain part of the country because there's no other reason for this like financially and let I, I just don't know what they get out of it if you pay him a huge sum of money he's not a huge star in mma so what do you get out of putting him into these fights yeah what do you get out of it yep so let's see let's see let's, see. let's move on to the next piece here we have we are talking about Dana White contender series first impressions. Did you watch on Tuesday? Uh, yeah, I watched some of the fights. They were uh, not bad, actually. What are your thoughts on this, man? What is what is the? I think this was a successful event. Um, 
they got some good bouts. They signed two guys to UFC contracts, and the other two guys who didn't get signed, you know, they got some strong exposure there. So, what are your what are your thoughts about this, and, and how do you see it going long term? I'm kind of curious, like, like if they're doing this show now, what's the point of the Ultimate Fighter? Because essentially they do the same thing, except this one you just get. In theory, you should be getting higher level fights, and you just get the fights right away instead of having to go through the drama and two coaches and all the built up conflict of the show. So I'm kind of like, what's what's the point of having the Ultimate Fighter now? Yeah, what is the point of it? Well, that's interesting that you say that because they just announced the next season, and it's Justin Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez as coaches. So I think it's more about building the the fight for the finale than it is for building the athletes coming through the show. Well, it, it's hard. It's supposed to be something to develop, you know, develop contenders or develop new stars develop prospects. But, but recently there haven't been that many prospects. It's been kind of hit or miss. They've been using veterans. They've been trying to find different spins on it. But if you're going to have an actual fight show where you're going to sign people to contracts and have top notch who, who are UFC quality, at least, then it kind of takes away the point of having a reality show, especially one that's ratings have been sagging and they cost a lot of money to run. Like it seems counterproductive. It seems like redundant. Like you're getting high quality fights with named guys without having to sit through 45 minutes of drama. Mm-hmm. So it I, really mean, does. I, I like the fights. I like the pacing. Snoop Dogg seems to be quite funny. Him and Uriah Faber is a commentary team. I did not think I would enjoy. So that was pretty unique. Um, it's like it's still fights, it's still MMA, but it's different enough. It's kind of like when box HBO did Boxing After Dark, or Showtime does their show show boxing with the prospects. It's it's a similar to the bigger package, but it's like you got guys who are a little bit hungrier, guys who who aren't as known. It helps them perform on a stage, kind of break into the bit the mainstream, get somewhat of a name about them, and it gives you good quality fights. So I, I'm a fan of it, and it's a little bit it's it's different from the UFC. Is is the presentation and the commentary is a little bit different, so I appreciate that, and I think it's I think it's a good idea. I just don't know what it does as far as the Ultimate Fighter. That's that's where my biggest question comes in. Yeah, like like what is what is the um what is the point? I think they're going to keep it around just because it it's a big deal for Spike ratings wise. But I love the Contender Series. I love the idea of it, and I like that they're also adding guys who are currently on the UFC roster, kind of putting them in place to get some comeback fights and makeup fights to kind of get their get their the ground back under them. So I think all in all this is a very this is a very powerful thing. It's something I've been calling for for years. And I just think that this is a this is something that I believe will have a long term value to the UC, especially with it being free. Well not free, it's on Fight Pass. Fight Pass isn't free. But this is a good opportunity to continue building that platform as well. Kind of along the same ways that WWE is using the platform, the WWE network to build NXT, which is one of their biggest brands right now, and it builds young stars that become main eventers for their flagship shows in Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. I think it also helps because they're going to be getting people who fight in other organizations, and as those fighters get more acclaim or have more success. It helps the lower. It helps the lower organizations because people are going to be like, if I can get some kind of notice instead of having to go through a show or have to win, all the you know go through all these different 
avenues to get to the UFC. All I got to do is keep doing my job. I don't have to focus on being a character, and I'll get an opportunity to fight on cards like this and hopefully get signed. Even if I don't get signed, like you said before, you make a name for yourself. You put on a good performance. You show some heart. You show some skills. You're on the UFC's radar, which is all you can ever ask for outside of getting a contract is to be on their radar because that helps you moving forward because now when you go back to your organization, guys are going to want to fight you because obviously the UFC's got their eye on you. So if I beat you, maybe I get my opportunity. Maybe it makes you some more money in those smaller organizations because now you've been on Fight Pass and more people know you or more people or people thought you should have got signed. So it, it helps on, on a multitude of levels. It really does, and I'm going to be interested in seeing what they do for matchmaking continuously down the line. Do we see Sage Northcutt on future contender series? Do we see Mickey Gall out there? Do we see Paige Van Zant? Do we see guys and women that they have hopes for long-term booked on the contender series as an opportunity to help them be um, help them rebuild themselves and continue fighting towards prominence? I have an, I have two names for you, people who I think should be on the show. Who's that? I think they will be, but I know that I think they should be. Who's that? Jessica I, Lauren Murphy. I, I would watch it. I would hate that fight on... Quite a few losses, even though they've been competitive, they're still losses. You could put them in. I mean, I'm a best Kohea fan, but even even she she would draw a rating. Yeah, and Paul Felder. Huh? Just, I said Paul Felder. Yeah, man, there's, there's many people out there. Yeah, I mean... Felder might not because he's, he's kind of on a win streak, but people who've been kind of win, lose, win, lose, or on a losing streak, this is the opportunity they need to kind of reignite themselves. And if you can't win on this kind of format, then you have to, you know, UFC is going to end up cutting you anyway, so you might as well take the shot and see what you can do. But that, that's three female fighters I definitely think you might see on in the near future. Yeah, definitely. I, I can agree with you on, on that there. Um, I'm looking forward to the next edition. I think this is a, it's a good move for the UFC. So let's go ahead and jump into some coverage from... We had a lot of action for International Fight Week this past week, and we got UFC 213 and the Tough finale. So I want to start with Tough first because that occurred on Friday. And Justin Gacy versus Michael Johnson. Man, this I when this fight started, when two guys were walking to the cage and I was at Fight Metric, I said, this fight is not going to last longer than, than, than 12 minutes. And there was no way in hell this fight was going to go to the um, third round. I didn't care what anyone was going to tell me. One of these two guys are getting carried out of there within three rounds. And that's exactly what occurred. Was this fight everything that you expected it to be? It, it really was. Um, I caught a lot of flack on the build-up to it all over Twitter and just and, and comments I was making because a lot of people were telling me, from the minute this fight was announced, I said Justin Gaethje is going to win this fight. And people kept saying, well, why do you say that? You know, you're disrespecting Michael Johnson's skills. And, you know, Gaethje has a problem with good boxers. And I'm like, well, he's fighting Michael Johnson, so I don't understand why you're concerned for Justin Gaethje. Because Michael Johnson's not a good boxer. He's an attribute-based fighter. He's Actually, what impresses me most about Johnson is his toughness, his physical toughness. Because guys with his athleticism usually fold up when you kind of put some heat on them. And Johnson, he... He took some hellacious shots. He was taking a beating, and you could tell he was breaking, but he was still trying to fight. He wasn't necessarily trying to win, but he was still trying to fight back. But as far as the skill set, I, I didn't see how, Ju how Johnson was going to win. His only chance was that he's going to be so athletic and so dynamic and so explosive that when he hit Gaethje, he was going to blow through him because he was so much faster and so much more explosive. Once it was clear that that wasn't going to happen, there, there was really no chance for him to win the fight. He's not that kind of guy. He's not that disciplined in his defense, his offense, or his counters. He's just not. He's a really athletic 
athletic guy with decent striking skills. They just look better than that because he's such a better athlete. Most guys can't take his power. Most guys can't catch up to his speed, but he's got lots of errors in his footwork and his technique. So it just came down to who was the tougher person. And Gaethje, we, and we've had Trevor Whitman on the show and we discussed this with Trevor Whitman. Gaethje's a lot harder to hit than you think he is. He's a lot more technical than you think he is. I used to think that he was just a caveman getting beat up, but he's not. He's very technical. If you watch the fight again, he was rolling with a lot of shots. A lot of the shots were landing on his guard. He was smothering a lot of those shots. He got hit clean, but he wasn't getting hit clean nearly as much as you thought he was. And he's very systematic in his approach. He works the body. He works the leg. He ups the pressure. He gets into those clinches and starts wearing you out. It's, it's, it's like an educated brawler. There's a layer of technique and nuance to his fighting style that if you don't know what you're talking about, you can't see it. It's just he's so violent, and he puts so much pressure and so much volume. It looks like a sloppy brawl, but it's really quite technical. And... Um, it, he 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 performed the way I thought he was. I didn't think that that um, if Johnson didn't get him out quickly, I didn't think that Johnson's skills would hold up under pressure. I didn't think his athleticism would hold up because you burn so much energy being that explosive and depending on your speed instead of actual correct technical footwork. And once he slowed down, I knew Gaethje was just going to run him over. And um, I, I was impressed. I mean, just the level of ferocity. I took a ba- I knew Gaethje wouldn't take a backward step, but. Johnson was really fighting hard. Like he was really fighting to prove a point. And I think he, he did himself a great service as far as the quality of his performance and the effort and the heart he showed in it. He, he, I mean, to have that kind of fight, you had to have two fighters willing to engage and go to war. And they had two fighters who were willing to engage and go to war. Yeah, and that's definitely what it was, man. There was, there was a moment where Johnson had Gates, excuse me, had Justin rocked very badly. And dude looked like a tree bending in the wind when he took the shots and he kind of leaned back and you see him lift one foot up off the ground trying to stay on his feet. And Johnson was just, Johnson could have tried to capitalize, but he was hurt too. And he couldn't come forward to fully capitalize on the moment. So it's moments like that, situations like that, where it's like, yo, these two guys were going at it. I sent the fight out to a couple of my friends just to kind of get them to watch it. And they were like, this is absolute bananas. I mean, even myself, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, maybe I want to get back into the cage. Maybe I want to fight more one more time this year, next year. And I watch that. I'm like, absolutely not. I want no parts in that type of foolishness. That was a crazy fight in every sense of the word. Is it fight of the year for you? As far as the, I mean, technically, I couldn't say it, but as far as the action and the, the like, the the huge the dramatic swings like there was a point where I was watching fight and I'm like oh it's easy work look at Gaethje I'm on Twitter I'm like I told y'all what did I tell y'all and then he hit him with that uppercut and I was like oh let me stop tweeting mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like oh my god don't get knocked out dude I didn't think he would get knocked out but I was like man you're about to make me look crazy up here Justin you better get on this dude I mean just as far as the back and forth dramatic swings and the le- the level of contact like the ferocity when they were they were hitting each other like you would hit somebody who assaulted your girlfriend or your wife or your kids. Like, that's how they were fighting. It wasn't like just, I'm going to stick and move. They, they were throwing to like they were trying to kill each other. So it's that kind of ferocity that makes it the fight of the fight of the year for me because it's like they were really getting after each other. Even through the technique and the strategy, it's like they were really trying. Like they, It's almost like they had really done something to one another in their personal lives, and they were trying to make the other person pay for it. Like, I didn't even think I was watching an MMA fight. I thought I was watching, like, a fight, like a legitimate fight between two guys who just had enough of the other person talking and stepped outside to square up. 
Yeah, and I mean, it was a, it was an amazing fight. I definitely enjoyed it from start to finish, and it's something that I'll probably go back and watch again at some point, just because it was such a great moment. Um, is this wait, wait, one, one more question about the fight? I had to ask you this. Now, I, did you see the body shots Johnson was landing on Gaethje? Like, did you see his ribs look like ten shades of red? Dude, every shot they landed was the type of shot that would it would finish people. Yeah. It, 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 I just, I was like, I was like wincing when I'm seeing him get the, even, when I saw Johnson eating those leg kicks and I saw Gaethje running in full speed, getting countered to the body like that. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I, I was like, it's hurting me and I'm not even in the cage. In fact, I watched that fight. And you know, like when you watch a good fight or you have a good workout, you kind of get pumped up, you know, you want to go do something. Yeah. So I, I, I watched the fight. I'm all pumped up. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Sunday, I'm going spar. I'm getting my gear, going to war. After the first couple rounds, I'm like, Nah, dude. <laughs> like, nah, nah, I'm, good. I'm good. It got me all pumped up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be just, I'm going to be walking through these fools. And then uh, you get hit one time. It's like, oh, I was like, I'm too old for this. It's like, I'm too old for this. Let me go have a seat and watch from the sidelines. But yeah, it was a crazy event. I'm definitely excited with, with what I saw there. Um, let me ask you this question. How long can Justin keep this up? I'm interested in seeing how long he can he can continue to fight this way. Um, he can't get in there. He can't fight a maybe fight a Paul Felder like this. Maybe he can even overwhelm an Edson Barbosa, which I would love to see. He can fight an Eddie Alvarez like this as well. But how much longer can he get in there and go to war with people, leaning on the idea that his pressure is going to break them every time? The it the thing about it is. If he if he's gonna come in straight brawling, he said it. He said it himself. He's gonna get knocked out, and that I can almost guarantee that. The thing about it is, it just depends on how much work he's putting into developing the finer aspects of the game. Those the defense, the head movement, the footwork. If you pay close attention to all his fights, all that stuff really improved. And one thing nobody's talking about in this fight was the accuracy of his jab. Everybody was expecting Johnson to beat him with the jab. That's half the reason he kept getting in on Johnson, because Johnson couldn't establish or maintain or extend range behind his jab. Gaethje kept beating him to the jab, was jabbing with him and beating him to it and pushing him back and controlling where he moved. And that allowed him to the entry for those body shots and those leg kicks. But Gaethje's pretty much every fight he's going to have to start, he's going to have to level up as far as his defense, the tightness of his defense and the efficiency of his shots so that he, he gives himself less exposure. Because it's not, you can fight that hard for a round or two, but when you start getting into the five round fights, like three or four fights where you're going the full five rounds or taking four rounds of punishment, that's when it really starts wearing on you. Those flash knockouts or those big shots, in my experience, talking to boxing coaches, those aren't the ones that really jack you up. What really jacks you up is taking four rounds of punishment. Or if you're boxing, 10 rounds of punishment. Those flash shots that just rock you, put you on your heels, those are damaging. But what's even more damaging is when you're just eating shot after shot after shot. Gage has <laughs> actually really improved his defense. His defense, if it works a little bit better, he, he can make guys miss a little bit. And like I said, he rolls with a shot. So he catches them on the top of the head. He catches them on his guard. And he kind of rolls and takes some, some of the heat off them. They hit them, but they're not hitting them as clean as they should be. So if he keeps doing that, he's going to be able to extend it. But the fact that he applies so much pressure, it guarantees he's going to get hit. And against the right kind of hitter, you know, it's going to catch him. Like, he could get knocked out of his next fight and then fight two or three other fights and be just fine. But the, mat the question is, it's like, who's the matchup and, and 
if he makes a mistake and who he makes a mistake against. You make the mistake against Eddie Alvarez, Eddie Alvarez isn't the kind of guy who knocks people dead with his power. Edson Barbosa is another is another question altogether because no matter how tough your chin is, you can't constantly expose it to that kind of abuse. So he's essentially just got to keep working on his defense to the point where it takes away any um, any chance where he's going to get countered or, or just blown up with a big shot. And like I said, in that Johnson fight, he didn't take a whole lot of clean shots. He took a lot of shots, clean to the body, but to the head, he didn't take a whole lot. So I think he could do this probably, depending on, depending on the clip he fights at, if he takes time off between fights, he could do this for another couple of years, as long as he takes the right amount of time off in between fights and he's not and he, to recover, to work on his skills, to work on his refinement. But if he's like fighting, fight like Donald Cerrone, like four fights in, a, in, in two months, I, I don't know that it lasts that long. I don't know that you can fight that style of fight that often. So it just demands, demands on the pacing and how much dedication he's putting into actually becoming a more technical fighter. If he's doing those things, he's got a couple years where he can keep doing this, even at this level against most guys. But if he's going to ever get into where he buys into that he's just so tough and he can walk through anything, he won't, he won't make it within the next year or so. He, he's going to walk into something. It's him being dedicated to the finer aspects of fighting that's going to keep him moving forward. Right now, his chin's saving him, but he needs to keep it to where his skills are saving him and his chin is the last line of defense. It definitely is. And, and uh, Trevor Whitman said hello to you. I called, I like got in contact with him. He told him congratulations for the fight. He thanked us for letting him be on the show again, and um, he was just glad, you know, we were thinking of him. I told him that, you know, me and you were very happy that he won the that Justin performed the way he is, and that we thought he was a very good coach. I just spoke on your behalf because I'm sure you feel that way too. Of so, course, of course, of course. Just letting you know that he was thankful that we had him on the show, and he he, he appreciated the warm thoughts sent towards him. Good stuff, and we got it. We can, we can get him back on at some point too in in the future, just to, to talk game. Um, he was he was great interview. Great interview. Good stuff. And what the, the thing about Gage, excuse me, G there is that Justin Gage, excuse me, I can't talk today. Is that you said something interesting? You know, it's those war of attrition's that wear on you. Those are the ones that do the most damage over time, and I definitely agree with that. That's the type of fighter Eddie Alvarez is. He goes in there, and you have to go through a war of attrition. I mean, I think of his fights with with Michael Chandler. Man, those two things they they did some damage on Michael Chandler, so much to the point where that's kind of where his career started slipping for a second, and we began questioning just how much longer he was going to be able to do this. Um, you, 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 Bar- you're right on that one. Chandler Chandler doesn't take a shot like he used to. He no, like they had to give him some gimme fights to kind of get this guy back to where he is now. You got Edson Barbosa, man. Edson Barbosa, that fight with Paul Felder was a barn burner. You know, guys were sitting there trying to kill each other seen with every shot and then you look at his fight with Donald Cerrone is the same type of deal before he got stopped these two guys are guys who fight with violence and bad intentions behind every shot even though it's not the type of shot that may put you out immediately it's the type of shot that knocks years off of your professional career and in my opinion knocks years off of your life so I am looking forward to seeing Justin fight again but I am concerned with how long he can do this for the, the long term well, like I said, I, I do understand that because of the nature of his style, and he does get hit. But it, it's like I said, it, you you watch the tape, and as he's gone on years and years and years, there's a there's a certain science to it. And Trevor Whitman's actually installing. He's make like Trevor said, he's not going to change anything about Gagey. He's going to try and make him into the best version of himself, where he can do the things he wants to do, 
exposing himself to the minimum amount of risk. Now, if you're going to come forward and throw volume, you're going to get hit. You have to accept that. The question is, how do you get hit? How much do you get hit? And the quality and the the, the cleanness of the hits you're getting, the, the shots you're getting hit by. Gaethje and every, every one of those aspects has improved. He's got a jab working effectively, even though he just he brawls and he looks for power. The fact is, there's a system to it. He chops your legs down, and if your legs are hurt, you can't move. But guess what else? You can't really throw power anymore because your legs are gone. By attacking those legs, he's taking some of the power off those shots. When Johnson was landing later in the in the fight, those were arm punches. They they still hurt, but they don't do the damage that when you can rotate your hips and explode into the shot. That wasn't happening anymore. You attack the body, guess what else happens? They can't throw as much volume. So even if they're hitting you with, before they were throwing 100 shots around, now they're only throwing 50. And those 50 shots are arm shots, so they're not doing the damage. And on top of that, the last thing he does is now he's, he's rolling with the shots or he's smothering them. He's getting close so he smothers them or he rolls with them. So you're not taking the full power. So now you've taken full power away because they don't have the legs. You've taken some of the, the snap and the, and the volume away because you're attacking the body. And now you're rolling with the shots or you're smothering them. So whatever power they have left, you've cut down from 100% to maybe 25, 35. And that's still not good to be getting hit with a lot of shots, but it's a lot better to be getting hit with 35% of shots than to be getting hit with those 170, 80% shots. And that's what he does. He slowly breaks you down and he attacks you in a manner that it's going to lessen the impact of your shots and lessen the amount of shots you throw. And he makes you hesitant to throw shots because he's punching with you. Boxing people know what I'm talking about. He doesn't wait till you're done. He doesn't just attack. He punches with you. So if a guy, every time you swing, I'm swinging with you and I'm hitting you, you don't want to swing anymore. You start swinging less. You start trying to cover up more. And that's what happened to Johnson. So he's just got to keep working on his craft and really getting down to a mastery. He's always going to get hit. You can't apply that kind of pressure without it, but you just have to be disciplined about it. Now, if it ever goes to, he's younger too, so he's still got time. But a guy like Eddie Alvarez, He's been in a couple wars, and that last war he was in with Chandler before he came to Bellator, that affected him adversely. At some point, it's going to catch up to you. I think that Gaethje's taking the appropriate steps so that it's not going to affect him. It's not going to be a huge drop-off. There's going to be some slowing, but I don't think it's going to be a huge drop-off because his skills are raising up. His skills are raising up even as we speak. He's not just leaning, he's not just leaning on his toughness alone. If you watch it really closely, you see some craft in there. It just, you have to look closely. You have to know what you're looking for. You know it. I know it. Some people just think he's getting beat up, but he's really not. It's how, it's his skin. It's how he fights. It looks that way. But if you look really closely, he's not getting beat up nearly as badly as you think he is. Yeah, that's, that's definitely some um, interesting analysis there. Let's, um, let's move on to some other big fights from this weekend. I'm going to talk about Whitaker, Whitaker and Romero first, just because that fight did happen. Where we have uh, Robert Whitaker, Robert Bobby Knuckles Whitaker. I don't care if he wants to be called that or not. That's what I'm calling him. But he was able to pull out a five round decision for Yoel or over Yoel Romero. How'd you have the fight scored? Uh, I had it. I had it for um for Whitaker. It looked like he swept the last three rounds. I think I'm not sure if the first round was the first round could have been Whitaker or Romero, but I think it was ended up being the first two for Romero, last three for Whitaker. Say it again. He just he essentially essentially he just he figured him out. I I think at one point, once he heard it, once Romero hurt his knee, he thought he had Whitaker like done and figured. And Whitaker, as always, he worked his jab. That front kick, that front kick just gives him so much freedom. It it cuts into your gas tank because it's hitting the body. It pushes you back, so it extends range and it keeps you from coming in with offense. And Romero likes to land that those, those big leaping hooks, those big leaping knees. He likes to 
just charge in and explode and take you down and get clinches and beat you up. And when you've got the jab and you got that front that front kick working, it basically allows you two lines of defense that throws off the person's rhythm, it keeps them from closing distance, and it slowly trips away from them. And you can work all your offense off the front kick the same way you do with a jab, or you can work it off the jab the same way you do as a front kick. Once you establish either one of those, you've controlling you're controlling distance and the pace of the fight. And once you control distance and pace of the fight, the fight's yours. I think he had initially he had a hard time adjusting to Romero's athleticism and, and how good he is on the counter. But once he, he established that distance and, and he found his rhythm, um, Romero didn't have enough tricks for him. Romero's whole game is figuring you out, timing you, and exploding. And it's really hard to explode when somebody's constantly kicking you in the chest and the gut, pushing you back, or constantly jabbing or feigning jabs, hitting you in the face and the chest and pushing you back. Yeah, it was definitely uh, um, it was definitely an interesting fight. Uh, I'm not surprised that Romero kind of faded. He he did something very smart though. I think he kind of took out of Tyron Willie's playbook where he kind of he he did he took some rounds off. Clearly he did. And with MMA still being only uh, still being only a five round fight, it's still it's it's crazy. But um. He definitely took some rounds off, and that came back to haunt him. He, you know, almost did enough to win. And it's always that third round, which is crazy. Um, it's always that third round that is crazy hard to kind of decipher. But Romero did a lot. He was unable to get those takedowns towards the end, which really played out uh, Played out with how this fight uh Ended being ended up on the judges' scorecards. Yeah, I felt he was taking rounds off, and I mean, I mean, let's. I mean, Robbie Lawler's made a career out of taking rounds off and then exploding. The thing about it is, when you take those rounds off, when that when that fifth round or fourth round comes, you have to completely dominate. It can't be a matter of I'm going to try to outpoint somebody. You essentially got to go out there looking to finish and doing everything in your power to finish that person, and that's. Romero had enough gas for that because a lot of his fighting, it's not sustained bursts of offense. It's not like where he fights really hard for two or three minutes. It's first will be the one, two, three. It'll be the big knee. It'll be the big leaping hook or the or the dynamic takedown. He doesn't put together like minutes of offense in every fight he's been in. He takes rounds off. He ta- he takes rounds off, whole rounds off. He takes minutes through rounds off where he's letting the guy attack him and he's just backing up. He's just circling away. He's just drawing a guy in, and then he explodes. You don't see Romero put together five punch combinations or five knee combinations or front kicks and huge right hand. He doesn't do that. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that kind of pacing. He doesn't have that kind of energy. He doesn't have that kind of style. It's all move, move, figure out your timing, frustrate you a little bit, get you over excited, and then hit you with a huge counter. Every time he's been in fights with extended exchanges, he starts getting hit more. He starts getting outwork. He starts getting pushed back. So he, to me. He couldn't afford to take rounds off because he's not the kind of fighter who can have sustained offense. And that's what it takes. You have to be, when Robbie Lawler would take rounds off, in that fifth round, he'd have like two or three minutes where he is just dominating, knocking guys down, beating them up, throwing five, six, seven, eight, nine punch combinations. Romero's not that type of fighter. He's never going to win a volume fight. And, and he didn't win it this time. He tried a slow paced fight where he could kind of pick his spots to explode. But once Romero, once Whitaker started using that front kick and that jab, he wouldn't allow him the range to get the takedowns he wanted, to set the takedowns up the way he wanted, or to land the shots he wanted. And so he, he was never going to take over the fight. Once the fight turned, he had, no, he had no way of turning the fight because he didn't have enough volume and he didn't have enough striking craft, in my opinion, 
to create the opportunities necessary to to explode. And even if, when he did, if he landed one big shot, he couldn't put two and three together. He couldn't put four, five, and six together. And that's the kind of work it was going to take to get somebody like like um, Whitaker. And to be fair, I've said this on Twitter. I don't know if I said it on the show. That's why I thought Bisping had a chance against him because Romero tends to slow. And if there's one thing Bisping does, it's ramp up the volume. So if you can't maintain a pace or increase it in round five, you're in trouble against Bisping. You're in trouble against Whitaker. And that's what happened. Whitaker just outworked him. Romero couldn't do enough for a sustained period of time to win the fight. And, you know, we just talked about that in depth. And I'm going to touch on some of the things you said, but I just want to kind of, I'm looking at social media right now. And you mentioned why isn't Floyd Mayweather taking shots at Conor McGregor when it comes to the money. He's literally opened up a, he's making it rain on Conor McGregor right now, where Conor McGregor sitting sitting in his chair on the stage. Floyd pulls out a couple thousand dollars and is throwing it over Conor and his, and his people. So it's hilarious, but that's neither here nor there. Um, wow. Who do you have next for Whitaker? Does he wait for um, Musasi to, to uh, come back? Uh, Whitaker, my whole thing is, uh, is his knee okay? Like, has anybody gotten any clearance on his knee? Because from what I was thinking, I was concerned that he was going to be on the shelf because his knee had gotten damaged. I mean, well, it looks like it, it looks like it. it looked like he's maybe out to early 2018. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, then I mean, you're just gonna he's gonna probably get Bisping next because Bis, Bisping's recovering from a knee injury, unless it's something worse and he re-injures it, and then Bisping, Bisping being the marketing genius he is, Bisping created beef with Robert Whitaker, and he also he also by tearing up the Cuban flag, he created a, a storyline to fight Yo Romero if he has to, if for some reason Whitaker can't compete so Bisping's gonna he's gonna defend his title it's most likely gonna be against Whitaker if everything's good but if not you know now you have this interesting thing of him talking trash to Romero tearing up the Cuban flag so that sets up a fight that would make more money than it would have prior to this fight but uh, I think Whitaker is gonna end up fighting Bisping that's the only logical fight next to I mean what else the other fight is there out there I don't think the GSP fights on the table anymore so the only other fight for him is for them to fight and unify the title. So do, how do you see a fight with him and him and Bisping going? Um, I really think I, I really think Romero would have been the safer fight for Bisping. I think that was a winnable fight for him. Uh, against against Whitaker, I just don't see how he wins it. Whitaker can do everything that Bisping does. Bisping's big thing is volume, having good active, busy footwork, and being sharp with the hands and sharp with combinations. At this stage, Whitaker's more explosive. His jab is much better than anything Bisping's got right now. And while they have comparable volume, the fact of the matter is Bisping's had a lot of mileage on him. He's not nearly as durable as he used to be. And Whitaker's not just durable, but he's got really good defense. So Bisping, he's not going to be walking into all the volume like the Bisping's used to. He's not going to slow a step because he likes to work at a very high pace. And on top of that, he's a bigger hitter than Bisping. I mean... He, he 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 essentially has them outclassed in every area that Bisping's strong in, and he's better than er- in Bisping in the areas Bisping's weak in. Um, I I'd have to say it's going to be Whitaker. Whitaker should knock him out inside of two rounds. I mean, if Bisping somehow beat Whitaker, I'd have to take back everything I've ever said about Michael Bisping of any negative nature because that that would be the best win of his entire career by far. Yeah, that that, that would, I would definitely um, agree with you on that there. What do you think about Whitaker as a champion? Is he someone that immediately interests you? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
he's got it. He's got a he's he's got a style that satisfies technical people because there's the feints, there's the jab, there's the front kick, there's the spinning stuff, there's the you know sharp punches. But he also he likes to fight. He throws a lot of volume and he's looking to finish guys. I think he has a lot of appeal. I think he could be huge in his own country. Is a huge star, and I think he has potential. Since he, I think he has the potential to be a star in the UFC, then the question is, can they do they have enough guys who can provide competitive fights? Because he's not the kind of trash talking guy. He he doesn't sell that angle. So the only way you're going to get him big is by having him in compelling fights. And luckily for him, the last two or three fights he's been in have been very exciting, dominant performances and and good action fights. So I think he has the potential to become of a somewhat of a household name over there, over here, and I think he has the potential to be a long-standing champion. He's he's really improved in every single fight he's been in since he's moved up in weight class. He's gotten sharper. He's got more discipline. His wrestling's gotten better, and and he's just gotten more comfortable. and And he's he, he's essentially beaten the best the middle the middleweight division has to to win. He's kind of like in a Max Holloway situation where he's beaten almost all the guys who he would have to defend the title against already. So now it's just going rematches i mean he's beaten brunson he beat jacare he beat romero so who else is there bisping and then rockhold yeah what other top middleweight is there bisping rockhold um who else is coming up gasoline beats weidman yeah i can't really think of anyone but there's there's not a whole lot of names the guys he hasn't already beaten on his way up to the title so so i mean he he to me he looks like he could be a long-standing champion if he keeps doing the right things. I don't know if he could be a superstar cuz he doesn't sell things like that, but as far as if you can put him in good fights, he's the kind of guy who's going to put guys away and put on very exciting high-impact performances and that's what fans like to see. That's exactly what they uh like to see. And I think he has the potential of being a big star. Over the weekend, someone else um Someone also hurt their, uh, I guess, cachet as a star, and that one individual is Amanda Nunez. <sighs> so she, unfortunately, was um, pushed out of the main event because she. Uh, I'm trying. To, originally, it, it was first reported that it was an illness. And what occurred was on Saturday morning, hours before the fight, she was deemed unel- un- un- that she couldn't fight. It was even though she was medically cleared and she made weight for the fight, she decided that she was unable to fight because she was injured, or not injured. Excuse me, she was ill. That's where uh, it ended up. Dana White went on record in saying that he said it was ninety percent mental. 10% physical as to why Nunez didn't fight. I wrote a piece on ratings today about that, where I think that that's a whole, that's a, that's a problem brewing within in itself. What are your thoughts on Nunez pulling out of the main event? Uh, I see, I see two points of it. The first point is kind of, I get why she does it. She, she, fighters don't make that kind of money. And once you get that title, it, it introduced to a new lifestyle. I mean, you saw the countdown. There's a new house. There's new opportunities they have all because of this title. So if you feel you're compromised on any level and you're not a star or the company company's not 100% behind you, you don't take that chance because going from $300,000 to fight to 
I don't know, 25 to win and 25 to lose is a big hit to take. So I, from the business aspect, I understand why she didn't take the fight because she'd be compromised. And, and she's historically had stamina issues. So if maybe this is related to it or maybe this highlights it. So you don't want to go out there against somebody who's, a, who's already very hard for you to beat and be compromised. There's too, much, there's, there's, too, there's too much money on the table. Once the money comes into play, how you fight, who you fight changes dramatically because now there's a bigger risk. The problem I have is, is one is with Dana. He shouldn't. You don't bury your champion like that. You're doing more harm for her moving forward. It, if she retains the title and if she loses it, it just makes her look even worse because you're essentially saying she she was scared and she was a coward and mentally she checked out. So if she loses the Valentina, how does that make her look in in the shadows of a loss? And even if she retains it, it still looks like she's scared, like she's a coward. So I, I'm not a fan of that. But what I'm not a fan of also is. If she knows she's had this problem, I don't know. If, I don't know how to treat it. I don't know much about it. I'm not judging her for this, but if you knew you've had this outstanding problem, how have you not taken steps to address it or really, really keep your eye on it? Because you're you're a champion now. You're not just a an op- opening card fighter, a fight pass fighter. You're the champion. Like they build whole promotions around you. You wanted to be a name. You wanted to main event an event. You main evented. You're getting all the attention you wanted. You beat a Ronda. Now you're a huge star, and because of this problem that you know you've had for years, and you haven't kept a, a handle on it, now you you've had to pull out of a main event. Uh-huh. It's 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 and I I don't I don't know enough about it to know that she could have done anything about it or there's any way to fix it. I assume there's treatments you can have. And if she hasn't been taking the treatments or she hasn't been addressing it, how do you let that happen? You're costing the company millions. This is an event they had scheduled as Nunes versus Shevchenko, and now it's Romero versus Whitaker. And not just that, but they had a fight of the year as far as technique. And and now you've been overshadowed by them, and you've been overshadowed by Gaethje and Johnson. And there's a lot. Go ahead. You know what I'm saying? That there's a lot that you said there because she also mentioned, you know, in her statement, she said that she has fought with this condition in the past, but at this time it was so bad that she couldn't take the steps to actually um, get into the cage. And in some regards, I agree with you. Yes, she should be concerned about what the outcome is for the organization. But Ariel Hawani was talking about this this week where he was like, she has to be concerned about herself because right as champion, she has the opportunity to make triple six six figures every time she fights. She loses that belt. She immediately goes back down to to twenty five thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars show and, and win, as opposed to a hundred thousand dollars guaranteed. So, from a career and personal standpoint, she made the right move instead of getting in there at at a status where she's less than what she knows she can be, she made the right room and say, no, I'm going to take a step back and fight another day and make the money I'm supposed to make. Because she didn't get paid. When, when She didn't show up. She didn't get paid. But she has the opportunity to correct the situation. Because if, if she loses, she goes in there, she loses to Valentina, and she doesn't fight well, and she's sick, she's not guaranteed a rematch in any shape or form. She's not guaranteed. And um, let, let, let's just say they make the fight again. What if she has to pull out again because of this? I doubt she will. Um, and I, I think she, she knows better than pulling out again over this. But it gives her an opportunity to, I think, better prepare and better win the event. You know, two questions. You're, you're a very smart person. And I know you are. We've talked many times. Amanda Nunes, has always, what has been her biggest complaint? 
I don't get any attention. The UFC knows I'm on this huge winning streak. I'm dependable. You, you, you need to make me the star, blah, blah, blah. That's what she said. And I'm not saying risk your health. I'm not, I understand the money part. I understand that completely. But part of what made Ronda Rousey Ronda Rousey was she was always there willing to fight. She had injuries. She had knee injuries, wrist injuries. She had a lot of things wrong with her, but she always showed up. Conor McGregor always showed up. Now, one, but the fact of the matter is they always went out there and performed. That's part of what gets you that fan base because you're always willing to there to put it on the line. That's what allows you to make that stance that you're a warrior. And I'm not saying she's not. I'm not saying this, but I'm looking at it from a different perspective. And secondly, she's known she's had this problem for a while. Is there no treatment for it? Is there no way to handle it outside of what she's been doing before? Because if this happens again and and she's compromised and she gets beat, then she'll be like, well, my sign, my, I forgot, I don't know how to say it correctly, but my sinuses flared up. So it flared up, but you took the fight now. Why didn't you pull back out? If you're so concerned with it, why did you pull out one time but not pull out the second? Well, because I had mm-hmm. a fight. Then why did you just fight the first time? And it's not, it's not a fair line of questioning, but it's a line of questioning fans are going to have. And if she loses it and she uses an excuse, you know, I mean, what what kind of hell is that going to raise for? So now you lost, but now it's because your 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 issue flared up. Wow, wow, real classy there, real classy Nunez. You know, if she loses this fight, it, it's just a really bad look for her. If she loses this fight, and I understand the whole concept. She has to look after herself, but when you're telling a company to put millions and millions and millions behind you and, and to and, and to push you as the man or the woman at this weight class, things like this can't happen. I won't disagree with you there. She's not a she's not a Conor McGregor star. They buy that from Conor. They might buy that from Ronda. They're not going to buy that from her. And I know a lot of fighters are standing up for her right now. But those fighters, when other fighters have pulled out on fights with them, they weren't that understanding. They're only understanding because it's not them fighting her. If it was their title shot, they would not be understanding. Yeah. But again, I I agree. Totally um, agree with with that 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 stance there. I definitely agree with that. Um. Again, again, I think this is going to be something that. The UFC has to learn from because they can't bury their champion the way that, that they did Nunez here. They completely buried her, um, and it's unfortunate that they did so in such a way. But you know, it's Dana White didn't hesitate to um, go on the offensive ag- against Nunez, and I think that that is irresponsible. I also think it's irresponsible. I, I haven't seen any bad reporting about it yet, um, and I'm happy that that has not occurred. And I just hope that. We don't see that that situation um, at any point in in time. Well, let me ask you one other question. Let's say the fight gets made again, and for some reason that she has this issue again, and she can't, she has to pull out. Will your will your tune change? Because it's still her health, but now that's two main or co-main events you pulled out on. How can the UFC well, back you as a champion? Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely um, change my tune then because like, like, like you, you understand, she's painted herself into a corner now. Even yeah. if she flares up, she has no choice. She has no choice. You're right. You're, you're and, totally right. And if she loses and she says, well, my stuff, people aren't going to want to hear that. It, 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 she's really painted. I'm not saying she should have taken the fight. I, I'm on her side completely. But I have to ask that question. Now you paint yourself in the corner. You might be compromised and you're still going to have to fight now. And if we and if, if word gets out that you're having this problem or you're ha- you look like you've had a bad weight cut, imagine if you're in Shevchenko's corner. She looks like she had a bad weight cut. She looks tired. Maybe her, maybe she's having a flare up again. Maybe she's having a problem again. But now she has to take the fight. So now you know you have her. Let her push that face in the first first round or two. You know she's going to be dead after the third one. Yeah, and um, I think that this is really going to change. It's also going to continue that conversation to change the way fighters are paid. That whole um, 
showing and when money that stuff's got to go away and i think we're, we're 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 heading in the right direction to get that for athletes and their managers to begin to say you know what i want to be paid when i show up to fight the hell with the show and win money stuff because it's, it's getting out, out of control that these fighters are paying for their camps going through the whole motions getting there and something happens and they're not compensated oh yeah you're right i mean the person the, think about that like that's why I said all the fighters who are on her side now, if it was their paycheck that got hurt, they wouldn't be on her side. Shevchenko had a whole camp, and now she gets her, I guess she gets her show money, but she she doesn't get a win money. She doesn't even have a chance to earn it. It's just the opportunity is taken away from her. The, the thing yeah, is, she's that. not even entitled to her show exactly. money. So you never know what they gave her, if they gave her anything. And, and I'm not sure, I haven't seen anything saying that the UFC has paid her or has not, but again, she's not entitled to anything. Yeah, because she didn't even she didn't the fight get canceled. She didn't she she get she could get nothing from that. So people who are upset that she, she's not being understanding, imagine if you showed up to do your job and they told you you're not getting paid because some because your manager didn't show up. Excuse me, what? Sorry. You know? Yeah, definitely. That's I, what's I'm... happening. That's essentially what's happening. So think about her position. Like I said, Nunes has got to take care of herself. But all these fighters who are so understanding, they're not going to be that understanding if you got to show money and to fight money, and you got half your paycheck. Every time a fight gets canceled, what did every fighter say? Well, can I get my win money too? Because I showed up, I, I did my job. Well, Chevchenko might not have gotten anything. Yeah, so you really, really never know. Waste for her, not her title shot, nothing. You never really know there. Um, what are some other things that stood out to you from International Fight Week? What are, from both events, did anything catch your eye? Um, well, the the Overeem Verdun fight. Somebody actually uh. Adam Ripa on Twitter actually asked me to talk about this a little bit. So I was saying that on the fight, two guys, in the fight, it's a heavyweight division. You have two guys who are on the decline physically, and one guy has actually learned how to navigate the fact that he's not as athletic or as durable as he used to be, and one guy's still trying to find his way into that. And that's Overeem and Verdum. Overeem, during his time with Jacksons, they, stu- they took him away from his high guard, march forward, and chop you up with leg kicks and knees and run you over type style. Because they recognized his chin wasn't there physically. He wasn't as strong as he used to be. And facing a higher class of heavyweight, he couldn't just blow through guys. So they started having to work on management of distance, efficiency with shots, wider shot selection, pivots, movements, and timing so that he could pot shot guys and kind of break guys down into distance and then close the show. Verdun he's kind of lost his step physically and his durability isn't quite there, but he's still trying to fight in a manner that he still has his athleticism and his durability. He can't maintain the pace anymore. He can't take the shots that he used to anymore. So as a result, he's still, he's still stuck in transition. He's still trying to fight that style, but it just doesn't work the same. He tried against Stevie and he got just totally blasted. Even when he fought Kane, he was able to wear Kane down, but he was taking a lot of shots in that. If Kane doesn't gas, Kane might've, overwhelmed him with the physicality and the number of shots he was landing. Verdum is no longer the guy who can go head first. He no longer has that fearlessness and that ability to, to take huge shots and keep walking forward. And with that, that style, with that, without that fearlessness and that durability, he's really an average kickboxer at best. And when he doesn't, he can't apply that pressure and that volume, his takedowns, his ability to force exchanges on the ground, all that goes away. Uh, the reason he had improved so much is because he, he wasn't afraid of taking shots. He was putting pressure on guys. He was getting his hands on guys. He was getting guys down, beating them up on the feet, and then taking them down. He's, without that durability, without that athleticism, he's no longer that guy. 
and he hasn't developed a style that allows him to make the most of the athleticism and durability he has left. So then he ends up in these slow-paced kickboxing matches where, because Overeem was landing the flashier shots and the bigger-looking shots, it looked like he was winning the fight, even though Verdum did more damage and had more control towards the end of the fight. So you have two guys who are on their athletic decline, but one guy kind of prepared for it and started training in a style and a strategy that allowed him to navigate it, and one guy just kept fighting the same way until he got to the point where he can't fight that way. And now that he can't fight that way, his, everything, every aspect of his game is less effective as a result now. And that, that's what stood out to me, because even though they're heavyweights and they've lost a step, they still can compete because the heavyweight division is so thin, but neither one of the guys is going to be elite again because Overeem still can't take a shot right now, and his, his gas isn't there, and he's not nearly as, as quick anymore as he used to be. And Verdun was never the quickest guy, but he had that physicality and that durability, and now that that's gone, he's not able to force a pace to create the, the openings he needs to get guys to the ground or to get into clinches where he could beat them up anymore. So now he's stuck on the outside kickboxing, and he's not that good a kickboxer offensively or defensively. He's not a good enough wrestler to take guys down left or right. So now the, the, the same holes, the same problems he was having before he made this change are starting to pop back up, which means he's going to be a hit-and-miss heavyweight from now on. Overeem still is dangerous enough and skilled enough and seasoned enough, and he's been working this new style enough where he can still be dangerous. But the thing about it is his durability is gone, and his athleticism is is close to shot as far as at a world-class level. So the openings are going to be there for him, and he can't take any sort of punishment anymore. So his chances of being elite aren't going to exist because there's a couple guys who can take his shots as they stand right now, but he can't take theirs anymore. So, But he's, he's closer to elite than Verdum is because he's been trading for the eventual loss of his athleticism, and Verdum has not developed a style that allows him to make the most of what he has left. Yeah, um, he was, uh, he definitely looked like he was, uh, they were both struggling. And to be honest with you, I don't want to see either man uh, get, I don't want to see either man get a, a, a title shot. I'm only interested in... Overeem's had one KO, he beat Hunt, who just had a big win, and he beat Verdum, so it's like, he's 2-0 and over the two better heavyweights, so he's guaranteed you get at least, he's, he's close to another shot, I mean... He, you can't, you can't say he's not. He's maybe another fight away from another shot. He beats one more person, he could be in a title shot. And even though he lost to Stipey, he had a chance to beat him. I don't necessarily know it was the best chance, but he, ha he had him in some trouble early. So he has an argument if he can win more, one more fight. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, I'm not, but I'm thinking Nganu was the next man to get tabbed for a, a title shot. And I think that that's a fight that a lot of people who are still interested in heavyweight MMA, what they want to see. Yeah, I mean, Ghana is probably the closest one, but, you know, I mean, like we talked about before, he could he could just blow Junior out, but Junior could come out high, throwing, throwing heat, and Junior could catch him and put him away, too. That's a real risky fight for him, because if he, he, gets, he gets ice with one shot or one or two shots, all that hype he had and all that stuff, that all goes away. He gets put all the way to the back of the line. So it, it's not a fight he can afford to lose, because he loses that one. You just lost to the guy who got blown out by the heavyweight champ in less than a round, and that guy smoked you. So what do we do with you now? It's like a total rebuilding project. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. So uh, oh yeah, and then there was the Pettis fight, the Pettis Miller fight. Yeah, I wasn't even. I, you know, Pettis Miller. It was. It was. I was what I thought it was going to be. Miller was aggressive, um, very aggressive as he always is. He was not able to get the get the job done. Um, are you ready to say that Anthony Pettis is back, or was this more of a 
situation where he's fighting someone who isn't at that level anymore. Or I don't I would question if he really, really ever was, but that's a whole other conversation for a different day. You see, that, that's why we get along so well, because you, you, you can be objective and you can see it straight. I, I wrote that article last week over the, the Pettis and Miller fight, the 10 things you need to know. Miller, to me, has always been, he's like, like I said, he's a journeyman. He's a guy who has all the skills, who's constantly working on his skills and constantly improving and making the most of all his physical abilities and his experience in the cage. And he's always getting better. But the fact of the matter is, against a certain level of talent, he has always lost. When he fought Cerrone, he lost. When he fought Henderson, he lost. Every time he takes that step up against talent, he loses. He can beat everybody else, but he can't beat the elite guys. And so a fight against Miller is a good litmus test because he's a guy who's got defensive skills, he's got offensive skills, he's got counter, he can grapple, he can wrestle, he can strike. He can he fight at a high pace, he's durable. He basically checks off all the boxes at a certain level. So nobody's going to get an easy win over Miller. So he's the kind of guy that if you're not capable of competing anymore, he's going to beat you. But the fact of the matter is, Pettis is still one of the better athletes in the sport. And even though he's not the most technical or strategical striker, he's still one of the better strikers in the sport. And his skills aren't super super nuanced but he's opportunistic in what he does and he basically just out athlete athleted jim miller he's still durable pettis is still durable he can still hit with power he can still pot, put shots together in spots and that's essentially all he did he was the same anthony pettis he was just doing being anthony pettis against a lower level of fighter against the top end of guys barboza holloway things guys of that nature he lost and he lost decisively but against guys like charles the bronx all Oliveira and Jim Miller, guys who were good, capable of beating anybody on any day, but usually don't beat the best. He he looked impressive, but I, I still don't know that he's ever he's ever going to be an elite lightweight again. I think he needs to start taking slow steps and trying to work other elements of his game into how he fights, and not just adding skill sets, but adding skill sets in a manner that it fits into what he's trying to do, not just throwing random random things together and then trying to make it work. Like actually have a plan and develop his defense, his offense, and his counters so that when he's facing the better athletes, the guys who have that second and third gear they can turn into, he has an answer for it other than just being tough. So it, it was a good win against a guy who can fight, but it, to anybody who knows the sport and knows what a journeyman is in the sport, it, it was to be expected. I mean, I was glad he won. I, I was glad Miller put on a good performance, but it looked like the same Anthony Pettis to me for the most part. What's next for him? If I'm him, I'm trying to fight somebody who's like a step up from Miller. I'm not trying to take huge jumps forward as far as fighting the top guys. Like, take some time and start working on your craft. Take some time off. He broke his hand, so he needs to take some time off. Take some time off. Find a guy who's a little bit better than Miller. Try to work some of those new improvements in in a live situation and then take the next step. Stop trying to jump right back to the title. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. He tried to go, lost the title. I'm, I'm trying to get right back to it. No, take some time. Rest, get yourself together, come up with a new game plan, work on your skills, and slowly work your way back up so that when you get that opportunity, you're in full, you're able to make the most of it. You Stop trying to skip steps. That's what got him in trouble in the first place as a fighter. He skipped too many steps depending on his athleticism. Now he needs to do it the right way and work his way back up. I don't know who, who else is under there right now. Maybe uh, Benil Darius I actually, when he comes I actually got a. I actually have a name that... Um, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna mention later on in the show, so hold off on that part. Yeah. But is there anything else that stood out from you for you uh, this past weekend? Uh, the Travis Brown loss was kind of was oddly depressing to me. 
Why I was, was that? Kind of, I was actually kind of sad by that because I, I don't know the guy, but it it just seems like he wants to win. And he just can't. He just keeps finding ways to lose. He really does. Um, I the thing is sad. This is going to be what I point out that kind of stood out for me the most for this fight. Derek Lewis is a damn savage. Did you see what he posted on social media after Travis Brown lost? I did not. He sent he sent a tweet to Ronda Rousey saying, "Hey Ronda, I'm so sorry that that just happened." Wow, dude has no no um no cares in the world. But um, yeah, you know I'm I'm never been a huge Travis Brown fan. I, I I think that he's a stellar heavyweight. He had his time. He was unable to kind of turn that corner, and I think you're going to start to see some um, decline from him. Dana White is saying that he thinks he should retire. I don't think he's at that point yet, but he's definitely at a point where he um. He is struggling to keep up with the rest of the division. Well, his ma- his management has done many favor. He shouldn't have taken the fight, I, even though I thought he had a chance. He shouldn't have taken the rematch with Verdum. He shouldn't have turned right back after fighting Kane Velasquez. He shouldn't have taken that fight. He shouldn't have turned right back around to Verdum. The Lewis fight was reasonable. The fight with uh, Olenek was reasonable, and he could have won either one of those fights. And I'm not personally invested in him. It's just you know when he's sitting on the on the mat, like just sitting there like, what happened? Like how do we get to this point? And in both fights he had opportunities to win. He was so close to stopping Derek Lewis. Mm-hmm. He was so close to stopping them. And then for it to turn around like that. So it's not so much that I'm invested in him, it's just you know, it's like seeing somebody who just feels looking at somebody it's one thing to see a guy lose. You can handle that. But seeing the guy look lost and just completely defeated, like nobody wants to see that. Like I'm not that kind of person. I don't get any joy from seeing that. And he just looks lost and totally defeated. And as a person who defines himself as a fighter have an effect on so many different layers. It's not like a regular person like me. I go spar and get beat up. It's fine. I can I can handle it. I expect it because I'm not a fighter. But for somebody who defines himself as such, you know, that's that's a emotionally damaging thing to have to go through. Definitely is. And I, I um, agree with you there through and through. I want us to take a moment to talk about the fights we have coming up this weekend. Because as we mentioned, you know, this is a crazy busy month for the UFC. We have UFC Fight Night 113. And uh, Gunnar Nelson is fighting uh, Ponce Nibio in the main event. My eyes are actually more on the... Cavillo Calderwood fight. What is um let's talk about well let's talk about the main event first. Nelson, um Ponzinibbio, what are your thoughts on that main event? I really think this is uh I actually did a I actually did a piece on this. It is actually for another site, but I did a piece on it. Um this is a two parter and uh it's really a matter of it's 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 Gunner's fight to lose. He's a better athlete, he's the better grappler, he's not the better striker overall, but he's got the better tools to strike with. So in theory, this should be the fight he wins. The only thing is, he has the he hasn't improved as a striker. He has the same tendencies, the same holes, and the same weaknesses. So it's a matter of whether he's going to be able to make these strategic changes, like being a little bit more aggressive, um, using his sidekick more because he doesn't use a jab to maintain range, and to use those takedowns, even if they're not successful, is ways to break up the pace and the volume. Because Ponzinibbio is a guy who hits hard, he throws a lot of volume, a lot of different techniques, puts a lot of pressure on you. And the stance that, that Nelson uses is a, is, a, is a traditional martial arts stance. So he's light on that lead leg. He likes to throw the side kicks and snap kicks and question mark kicks and explode in straight lines with short bursts of offense. And the guy like Ponzinibbio who counters heavily and throws a lot of volume and attacks with a lot of volume, 
he serves he's going to serve himself up for a lot of punishment if he can't find ways to break that pressure and break the pacing the Ponzinibbio has. So essentially, he he's he's a better athlete, better overall fighter, but in this one area, which is the overall striking as far as his boxing and his ability to attack and defend at mid-range, Ponzinibbio has a huge advantage. If you watch every one of Gunnar Nelson's fight, when he gets in that mid-range, guys chop him up to the legs, they chop him up to the body. So if he can pressure him and put him against the fence and catch him in that mid-range, stick a jab on him and start chopping him down, putting that volume on him, um, he's, he's going he's gonna to take him apart because Nelson has no answers in that range. He's all the way in, all the way out. And he's got to be able to do that and transition in and out the entire fight cleanly. If he can do that, he's going to win. He'll take him down, he'll submit him. He might knock him out on the feet because he's that much better athlete. He hits that much harder. But if he can't, if he's getting pushed back to the fence and he's not able to create space where he's going to have to work at a higher pace to stay away from that offense of Ponzinibbio's because he's putting out so much volume and pressure, he's going to chop him down, wear him down, and probably put him away. But I'm going to say that Nelson's going to beat him. I'm going to say that Nelson's going to come out a little bit more aggressive. He's going to use those slick trip takedowns to either, to either break the pacing or to get him down in the finish. I think he's got too many skills. I think he's a better athlete. I think he's physically durable enough that he can he can last through. But if it, if it starts going longer, the the longer that style goes, the more openings it has. And if he can, if Ponzinibbio can hang on early, then he can do what Rick Story did and essentially just walk him down and start chopping him up, chop up that leg, that leg's there on entry and on exit to chop up, and that body's there and his head's there. So if he can get through about the second half of the second round without taking too much damage, he should be able to walk Nelson down. It's just a matter of which Nelson comes out. If Nelson comes out and pushes him back, he's going to be good. If Nelson lets him dictate, pace and range, it's going to go bad for him and it's going to go bad real quick. The thing is, man, um, where the hell, you, you just said something that kind of made me, where the hell has Rick Story been? Uh, he got knocked out by Donald Cerrone and that was it for him. That's right, that's right, I forgot all about that fight. Um, yeah, he, so he yeah. switched camps even though he was on a, one of the biggest win streaks of his career, and then he switched camps and summarily got knocked out. I think he was injured too, he said he was hurt, he was fighting because he needed the money. So he's actually might be. When I saying he's taking a break to like go to fire fireman's school or something. That's right. I did. I did remember hearing about that, which is again another fighter looking for another job to kind of keep themselves financially stable. Yeah, he almost yeah, fought. He hasn't fought in almost a year. He hasn't fought in almost a year, and he was on a pretty good run there too. So uh, let's continue the show. Here we have another co-main event on Saturday, which I'm very interested in a women's fight. Between Joanne Calderwood and Cynthia Calvillo. Calvillo is someone in the strawweight division that a lot of people are looking to have um, a pretty big, a pretty big run and a pretty big stake in this um, division here. What do you see in this fight between her and Calderwood coming up? Uh, it's amazing how quickly they move Cynthia Calvillo. I mean, she's won her last two fights, but she hasn't won her fights over anybody who's a name in the division. But I'm thinking that they impressed by her athletic talent and her skill set. Her being attached to the Team Alpha doesn't help. But as I said before, I think the fact that she comes from a Hispanic background is also something they're tr trying to push. They're hoping that they can bridge the gap and get and break into that market. And seeing that she's undefeated and she's an exciting, high-paced physical fighter, that's they're hoping that they're going to be able to transfer her over and make her kind of a crossover star. Kind of maybe a more legitimate version of Paige Van Zandt. Um, Calderwood's a good matchup for her. 
Calderwood's a good fighter. She's very experienced. She's a good striker. But the thing about it is Calderwood has a problem with a couple things. Defense, her defense is awful. It's always been awful. Secondly, she has a problem with aggression. And third, she has a problem with athletic fighters. And every time you've had athletic, aggressive fighters come at her, even if she's won the fight later on, early on, she's been rocked and hurt badly. Courtney Casey rocked her. Um, Sohi Ham, who fights for 1FC now, rocked her badly. Um, Rose rocked her and then submitted her. She just has, a, and, and the Ultimate Fighter, Paige, um, Rose Namajunas submitted her immediately. She just has, a, she's tough, she's durable, she's very seasoned, but she's slow. She's not very good in defensive. And even though she's got all this experience, she, she's tend, she tends to fight very stupid to me at some points. There's some key weapons she should always be using that she doesn't always use in fights to, to manage somebody who's got an athleticism advantage over her. And she doesn't consistently use them. Early in fights, she always gets rocked. And it just shouldn't happen to somebody with her level of experience striking and her level of experience of fighting in mixed martial arts. It's like she got to the UFC and she forgot how to fight. Like how to fight responsibly and defensively with some defensive awareness. Because in multiple fights, she's been rocked and hurt very badly. It's just happened so many times, you just expect it. Jessica Andrade is another person who finished her quickly. So I'm thinking Cavillo's got the advantage over here because she sets a high pace. She hits, she doesn't hit, she's not a knockout puncher, but she, she hits, she has some power. She throws a lot of volume and she's got such a quick takedown game and it's such an effective transition game. She's so unique and orthodox with her transition that she can finish you from literally in a position where she can create a scramble. She can get out of any position and submit you. The way she submitted Amanda Bobby Cooper was just was just amazing. 90% of fighters can't do that. The way she got out and finished her like that. And so I think that's going to be the biggest problem because she's going to set a pace and come out early and jump on Calderwood. Calderwood's just been, never been good against girls who are quicker than her, who are super aggressive and don't give her that respect. When you give her that respect, she can assert, she can impose her will, she can start chopping you down with leg kicks, she'll use that front kick, she'll kind of step behind a jab a little bit and she'll kind of walk you down, get in clinches and beat you up, take you down and then beat you up or try to submit you. But when you don't give her that respect and you come right at her, it's like she doesn't know what to do. And I can't imagine that she's improved this that much in this short of a time frame. It's been a, it's been it's been a problem for years in her career, and I can't imagine that it's not still not a problem for her, especially since it's the weight class that she prefers not to fight at. She's made that abundantly clear that she doesn't want to fight at this weight class, but she's fighting at it anyways because she didn't think she had a choice. So I think it's a good matchup for Cavillo. It's given her a chance to fight somebody who's susceptible to all the areas she's strong in. And it's just a matter, the, the only chance in my mind that Calderwood has is if she fights a smart, disciplined veteran fight. She has the experience. She, there's nothing Cavillo's going to do that she hasn't seen before. It's just a matter, has she developed legitimate answers for what Cavillo's going to do? And at this stage of the game, the things that happen to Calderwood just shouldn't happen to her. Like, you can't be, be this deep in fighting and make some of the mistakes she makes in stand-up exchanges or in grappling exchanges. So... I, I would like to say Calderwood because I like to go with experience, but it seems like in a lot of fights she's not taking experience. She's just taking punishment because the same thing keeps happening over and over again against a certain type of fighter. And once again, she's facing that type of fighter who's also a dynamic finisher on the ground. So I, I'm going to say that Cavillo is going to win it. I, I don't know if it'll go to decision. I, I tend to think she'll finish her, but she could win a decision too because all you have to do, Calderwood's such a late starter, but I, I'm thinking she's going to finish her, finish her within two rounds. Um, and even if she doesn't, I think she should be able to have enough of a lead that she should be able to just, she should be able to cruise to a third round decision, even if she, even if she doesn't 
finisher in the first two rounds. I, I just don't have enough faith in what Calderwood's going to do, or that Calderwood's going to do the right things to win the fight, in my opinion. I'm concerned because I think that Cynthia is someone that can become a star for this division and they're kind of pushing her to the top very quickly, which I'm never been a, I've never been a fan of. So we'll see how it plays out long term for her and this division because the strawway division is definitely growing and it's growing interest. They have a great champion. They have a number of strong contenders. They have um, Michelle Watterson, Claudia, Rose. Page, Felice, they have names in there and that is growing. Cynthia is someone who can be added to that name, that group, especially if she pulls off a win against um, Calderwood here. But I think that this might be um, throwing her in the deep end a little bit too soon. Well, you know, I, I see that point because Calderwood is durable and she is tough, but who else would you put Calvillo in who who has a rank and has a name who would be more dangerous? She couldn't be against Nama Yunus. I wouldn't put her in. I wouldn't. Fight. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it there. Let's let's look. I definitely wouldn't put her in that fight so soon. But um, you know, I as much as I can't put her against Herrick. Herrick's not going to take that fight. As much as I love my girl Angela Hill's there. Hill just Hill just came out of a fight though. Hill fought this weekend, last weekend. Yeah, no, I'm saying she did, but I'm saying like that fight could have been made in the future. Let's see who else. Um, I mean that fight could be made down the line, but Hill, this is Hill just had her. What her second win of the UFC, and that took like that, that was in between like a two year period. Cavillo's won two in a row. You can put her in there, Carla. Um, you can put her in there, Carla Espaza. I think that that would be interesting to me. Um, Jessica I Aguilar. Could, I, could, I could I could see that down the line, but as far as as the fights they were taking right now, Espaza wouldn't fight Cavillo because Cavillo's not a big enough name in her opinion. Claudia is not going to fight her. Harry's not going to take that risk. I mean, it's like. Calderwood's dangerous, but she's the right kind of danger. She can finish you. She can get it going further enough because she, she she has power. She has strength. She has experience. But she's had a histor historical problem with athletic, aggressive fighters. And so you're, you're, what you're hoping is that Cavillo's grappling-heavy attack and her athleticism is going to be enough to overwhelm Calderwood early to either finish her or come out to such a lead that Calderwood can't make up the difference. And when they were going to put Paige Van Zandt against Calderwood, I actually was thinking that Paige Van Zandt would get Calderwood because Calderwood is such a slow starter. By the time she kicks into gear, she could be finished or she could just be two rounds down and have to and have to get a knockout and have to get a knockout to win. It's a dangerous fight, but it's the right kind of dangerous fight because Calderwood, Calderwood has, a, has the right has the right weaknesses. She has some very concerning strengths. She can grapple a little bit. She's good for top control, her ground and pound, her striking, but her defense is just so bad. Everybody puts hands on her, and she is just so slow at this weight. She's not explosive at all. Like She looks like she's she, she's moving in slow motion a lot of times when I see her fight at this weight. She just physically manhandles people and beats people up, but I don't think she's going to be able to do that against somebody with Cavillo's grappling acumen and the people she works with. She could walk her down. That's very possible, but it's just as likely that she could get beat up and submitted with the quickness because it's happened to her numerous times. It's happened to her twice. It happened to her against Moroz. It happened to her against, against Andrade. And Andrade's not even that good a grappler. She's a dynamic athlete, but she's not a great grappler. And she, fin and she finished JoJo. So I think, I think it's the right kind of fight. If she loses to JoJo, it's fine. JoJo's an experienced, tenured girl who's highly ranked. If she beats her, now you have to start talking about Cavillo as a legitimate standout person in the strawweight division. And I don't think Calderwood has as broad a skill set or as deep a skill set as someone like Nama Yunus. This is a better fight for her, 
for Calvillo than Nama Yunus was for Paige Van Zandt. I could see Calvillo win this fight. There was no chance Van Zandt was going to beat Nama Yunus. So I think, I think this is actually good matchmaking. It's a little bit of a risk. There's some danger there, but it has to be some danger for anybody to take it seriously, seriously and to be, be counted as a feather in Calvillo's cap. There has to be some danger, but it's the right kind of danger, in my opinion. Exactly there. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's some interesting breakdown there. That's a fight that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing when it does come up. Is there anything else from this card that stands out to you? Uh, that name that I was thinking about mentioning too for Anthony Pettis, Paul Felder, Anthony Pettis, Paul Felder. I think that that, that would be an, an interesting fight. Yeah, that that would that would be a good fight. Um, uh, there's a lot of debut guys I haven't had a lot of time to write footage in. Uh, I'm always a Les- Leslie Smith fan. I'm kind of interested to see how she does. She's fighting an undefeated fighter in, in this weekend. And she had she actually had another name fighter she was going to fight, but they got injured. So now she's going to be fighting an undefeated young fighter. So I'm always a fan of her because she's willing to take whatever challenges presented in front of her. When they wanted someone to fight Cyborg, she jumped at it. When Irina Donna got put in the UFC, she jumped at that. She's just looking for any opportunity to to, to show what she can do and to apply her trade, and I, I admire her for that. She's like, she's literally never scared of any challenge, whether it's a union, it's calling out the UFC, or it's calling out the biggest fighter. So I'm always a fan of what she sees, and she always puts on high-energy, uh, exciting fights. So I'm always interested in seeing her fight. Good, 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 good analysis there, man. So what are you working on uh, this week? What do you have coming up? Well, I had a part, an article on the fight between Valerie Letourneau and Emily Ducote for the... Uh, for the uh for bellator but unfortunately that fight was uh canceled i spent a lot of time on that piece man i really worked hard on that and i was like can't it's like oh, you're killing me valerie i wrote an article and got you in bellator now you're getting injured it was just very frustrating it was very frustrating so i actually didn't have anything else because i had really put a lot into that for my, my last three pieces i kind of really did a lot of research and getting them together this was going to be like a really good one because a lot of people don't give bellator all that attention and uh, that that was it for me. So, uh, as far as for MMA writing, I did some other some writing for another site. But um, as far as MMA writing, that that's the piece I had, and and it, it got taken away from me pretty early in the week. Ha. So I am working on. I uh, just got my piece out there about com for Connor and Floyd on Complex. I did an interview yesterday about competitive grappling. That piece will probably be up in Bloody Elbow later on this week. I'm covering another uh, story there too as well about a new organization that's being created by Kenny Florian and some others. Um, I did a piece on Amanda Nunez that went out this week. Justin Gaethje's piece just went up today. So I expect that to go out tomorrow. And as always, still covering up-to-date news on Fansided and Carolina Panthers as well. So we got that going on. I'm going to look at kind of branching out a little more. Got some ideas, but uh, we'll see what's going on with that. You're doing a lot of of work. And side note, I I should probably say is I I write for another – it's like a slight slash magazine. It's called Severe MMA. Um, they 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 talk about our show a lot because they know I I do the show with you. So they 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 advertise it on Twitter when I'm doing the show. So I think it's only fair that I mention that I, that I write for Severe MMA and I do. That's what my Gunnar Nelson Santiago Puns and Evil two part article is. That's the site it's on. Um, usually I wouldn't mention mention it like that, but they always have done me right as far as acknowledging the other sites that I work for MMA ratings, so I want to do them right by acknowledging that I write for them and I've done a couple pieces for them in the past uh, three months. 
Okay, good stuff, good stuff, man. We always appreciate you. You do some great work, and um, I always love looking at your content. So with that in mind, man, we're going to go ahead and close out uh, this show. We will be back next week, and as always, you know, talking about some of the biggest news uh, for MMA and everything going on in the sport. So definitely uh, thank you for listening to the MMA Ratings Podcast. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at MMA Ratings Net. Go to the website, MMARatings.net, and be sure to catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube each and every week. Thank you, everyone, and have um, don't Don't think we forgot. We will be having some interviews coming up very soon for you. But we didn't forget. We didn't. We're not slipping on that part of our game either. We're just lining it up as we speak. We'll have some big news for you in the coming weeks. Definitely, definitely. So, with that in mind, everyone, thank you all, and have a great day. Yeah, take it easy, sir. So.